and to enter the Word of God with the premise and preface of worship. There's something deep about worship. And worship is different than praise. Praise is, of course, just that. We, we praise God, but, but you can also praise a person. You can compliment them and give them accolade. You can, you can commend them for a good deed they have done. But only God receives worship. When the deep of the human soul cries out to Him in honor of His holiness and in honor of His name, there's something beautifully deep about that. I want to talk to you tonight about the fruit of the Spirit. We talk a lot about the fruit of the Spirit at the Tree of Life, and that is aptly so, uh, because we are, in fact, the Tree of Life Church. And the whole purpose of the Tree of Life is to bear much fruit. And it is the power that exists inside that fruit that brings healing to people and brings power to the lives of those with whom we come in contact and brings life-changing deliverance. How many's life has been changed by the power of God? How many? I want to see a show of hands. If your life has been changed by the Word of God and by the power of God. Oh, hallelujah. How many love the Lord? How many, how many reverence God and revere God? How many have respect for Him? How many God-fearing people do we have in the house of the Lord tonight? Glory to God. Glory. You know why all of that is? It's that way because of what He's done for you. He's worthy of your reverence. He's worthy of your respect. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your fearing Him and your loving Him. Amen. And so from the book of Galatians chapter 5, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Verse number 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lascivious. Now you're going to hear some things in this, in this uh, series of what the Bible calls works of the flesh. You're going to see some things that are very prevalent in today's society. So I'll begin reading again, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And that ought to put the fear of God in anybody's heart. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The old song said, if heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? It's really a rhetorical question, not because the answer is, is, is uh, because, not because there's an affirmative answer, but because there is not an answer in terms of having other options. If heaven's not your home, there is nothing else for you to do. You 
must make heaven your home. Above all else, you must be saved. But the scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and with the lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So he gives us a list of the works of the flesh, only to follow up with a list of the fruit of the Spirit, to let us understand that, that there is a way to live according to the flesh. Earlier, he, or later, pardon me, in the sixth chapter, he describes that if you live according to the flesh and sow to the flesh, you will reap of the flesh corruption. But if you live according to the Spirit and sow to the Spirit, you will reap of the Spirit life everlasting. Oh, hallelujah. So you have an option. Are you going to live according to the flesh or are you going to live according to the spirit? And if you live according to the flesh, this is what results from living according to the flesh. Adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness and wrath and hatred and strife and witchcraft and on and on the list goes. But if you live according to the spirit of God, then you can expect this to be the result. Love, joy, peace, and yes, long-suffering gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And you will find that you will, you will fulfill the Spirit of God and you will walk in perfect peace when you live according to the Spirit of the Lord and not after the works of the flesh. So we're going to take time over the next few weeks to talk about these individual qualities that result from the Spirit being at work in your life. So, we're going to deal with them. Tonight, we're going to deal with the very first thing that is listed as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, hallelujah. It is love. That's the very first thing. That begins to grow inside of an individual when the Spirit goes to work in their life. Now, I, I, want to, I want to talk to you about the fact that there is a difference between worldly love and godly love. Worldly love is broken down. It's fickle. It's easily offended. It's easily hurt. Worldly love is quick. To change loyalties. Worldly love is something that boasts of its own self. That seeks after selfish, selfish uh, wants and desires. But godly love is just the opposite. And folks that have said, I'm sick of love. They're not talking about godly love. They're talking about worldly love. They're talking about the kind of love that poses itself as love but is not love. The kind of love that says, till death do us part, just kidding. The kind of love that says in sickness and in health, so to speak. The kind of love that, that is quick to betray, easily offended. And we are all, listen to me now, hear what I'm saying. All of us have that kind of love in us. Human love. Worldly love. And it falls it breaks it is 
it's fickle and it many times is is cheap and it comes cheaply however you must understand that the love that comes as a fruit of the spirit is a heavenly love a holy love a godly love this is not easily offended this is a love that is quick to forgive this is a love that is loyal hallelujah till death do us part this is a love listen don't do somebody the disservice of loving them with your human love but love them with godly love Say, Lord, I want you to put your love inside of me so that when I love them, I'm loving them with godly love and not with human love. Joel's love goes only so far. And then it it has conditions and it has certain prerequisites and it has the ability to switch. However, God's love inside of me can cause me to love my enemies. I'm talking about an amazing love, ladies and gentlemen. Let's look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Or, or better yet, let's look at, at Luke chapter 6. We're going to start at Luke chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading at the 26th verse. I'm going to talk to you about a love that this world will not present to you and will not give you, uh, give you a window into. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 6. Verse 26, woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. So that's something right there for us to learn. If everybody's saying good things about you, you ought to check yourself. Something may not be exactly as it should be because that's what the false prophets receive. Everybody speaking well of them. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do, listen, are y'all ready for this? Now, I don't want you just to put your thinking cap on, but make sure your thinking cap has some kind of a guard right here because it's going to hit all of us right between the eyes. Do good to them which hate you. You're not going to get that from the world. The world's going to tell you, get them back. Don't let anybody know that's what you're doing. Just stick your foot out there when they're walking by. That's worldly. That's worldly. But, but godly love said, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Anybody ever been used? Anybody ever been despitefully used? He said, pray for those folks which despitefully use you. He didn't say gossip about them that despitefully use you. He didn't say slander them which despitefully use you. He said, pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. Y'all, this may not be for anybody else, but just, just... Pardon me while I have a little devotion time here. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. If he takes your cloak, give him your coat as well. Give to every man that 
asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. We call that the golden rule. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. How many don't have a problem with loving them that love you? I want to see another show of hands. This is a very class participation night. They love me, I'll love them. That's how it goes, right? You, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You love me, I'll love you. Well, congratulations. The sinners are all really good at loving them who have loved them. So, what thank have you? Sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. If you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies. Do good. Lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind. Unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Now, if you're like me, there are some times where a little feeling will rise up. And I will think to myself, all right, they've done it this time. I've forgiven them and forgiven them and forgiven them. And by that I mean one and a half times. Still working on the second time. And and God has to remind me how many times have I forgiven you. See, he tells you how to be merciful. Be merciful unto them like he has been merciful unto you. Has he been merciful unto you? How many times has he forgiven you? How many times has he shown grace to you? How many times did he refuse to, to, to throw you into a devil's hell and, but to keep you and to continue working on you and molding you and shaping you? My goodness, we have to forgive not seven times in a day but 70 times seven. Continually forgive, continually forgive, continually forgive. Merciful, 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 even as our Father is merciful. Listen, this is a a complicated type of thing because we're not talking about worldly love. We're talking about godly love. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. Behold, this is what John said. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we, of all people, we. I mean, who, who are we? But, but what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Sometimes you have to stand back like John and be in awe again of the love that God has bestowed upon you. So the love that I talk to you about tonight is not a love that you can find. You won't find it in people on this earth. You will find it in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 gives us an understanding of how this love operates. 
And it describes that this love is something that is produced by the Spirit. Romans 5 and verse 5. Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, every fruit of the Spirit that we're going to talk about, the world has a, an alternative for. So there's a worldly joy that tries to pose as godly joy. There is a worldly gentleness that tries to pose as godly gentleness. There's a worldly goodness that tries to pose itself as godly goodness. As a matter of fact, it's so, it's so deceptive that the, the world buys into it to such a degree that, that the Bible says they actually call good evil. And evil they call good. But, it's, but it is all of the world. What we search for is something that is produced by the Holy Ghost. Romans 5 and 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So you might sit there and say, I don't know what this preacher is talking about. I don't know how in the world I'm supposed to love my enemies. I don't know how I'm supposed to bless them which persecute me, bless and curse not. I don't know how I'm supposed to do good to them that hate me. I don't know how I'm supposed to pray for them that despitefully use me. And I've come to tell you, not only does Jesus tell us we must do those things, but he explains to us how that love becomes a part of our lives. He said, the Holy Ghost shall shed it abroad in your hearts. Like It's like putting in your heart a sprinkler. Have you ever been walking by a sprinkler and didn't know it? Until the sprinkler came on, and it begins to it begins to shoo water every which direction, and by the time it gets done making its securitous root, it has covered everything with water. That's the way the Holy Ghost works inside of you. It is moving and operating on the inside of you. And by the time the Holy Ghost gets done doing what the Holy Ghost does, the love of God has saturated all of you. And now you love people differently than the way you used to love them. And you love your wife and you love your husband and you love your children and you love your parents and you love your friends and you love your enemies. Hallelujah. Not because all of a sudden you're such a good guy and you're such a good woman. No, it's because the Holy Ghost has shed abroad in your hearts the love of God. Not the love of a human being, but the love of God. If you love your spouse the way that God loves your spouse, and the way God will love your spouse through you, then you will have victory over the temptation of adultery and fornication. If you love your brother... Over the or in the way that God would love your brother or love your sister the way God would love your sister, love your neighbor the way God would love your neighbor, you will have victory over hatred and over strife and over, over seditions. You'll have victory over those things. Wrath and malice, you'll have victory over those things because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. Oh, praise God. 
Now, we could do a whole series on the love of God, but I just want to concentrate on a few important points about the love of God. First of all, we have to understand that it's a fruit. Everybody see these fruit up here? We got grapefruit, kiwi, oranges, peaches, grapes. There's a lime. I see a strawberry. I think I see like a green apple or a pear kind of emerging. See, that, those, that's natural fruit. God created those fruits to illustrate what real fruit does. See, the real fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. This is natural fruit. The fruit that I'm talking about is fruit that never decays. It's fruit that, that doesn't die on the vine. It's fruit that doesn't fall from the tree and become rotten. This is real fruit. Now, it's flu season, and you need to load up on some of this stuff. Because there's all kind of stuff flying through the air. Don't put your hand on a handrail right now. Don't, don't turn the knob in the, in the restroom with your hand. Use the paper towel, and then you need to have a good shot. Don't be littering. Just have a good shot. Get it in there. You need to be careful because there's viruses and there are bacteria and and there's stuff floating around in the air. When you eat fruit that is loaded with antioxidants, the antioxidants fight those viruses and that bacteria. That's what the fruit of the Spirit does. When the fruit of the Spirit lives inside of you, it fights the viruses and the bacteria on your behalf. So when the virus of lasciviousness or the virus of adultery begins to float through the atmosphere and the enemy is on the loose trying to tempt you in some way or another, you be full of the love of God and the love of God will fight the temptation on your behalf. Oh, hallelujah. That's the way that it works. And so we must be full of the love of God. The love of God... Oh, hallelujah, there's nothing like the love of God. There's nothing like the love of God. But it's four-dimensional. It's four-dimensional. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read just a couple of verses of Scripture. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 34. Jesus has a conversation that results in a question. It says, when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he is telling them the great commandment in the law of God is this, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and thy strength. That's the great commandment. That is the great commandment. He didn't pick from several and say, well, it's a really good question. What's a great commandment in the law of God? That's a really good question. Because there's a lot of good commandments in there. You know, thou shalt not kill is a pretty good commandment. Thou shalt not steal is a pretty good commandment. As a matter of fact, stop lying is a pretty good commandment. But he said, 
The great commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, which they did not ask about, is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words, you can't have the great commandment unless you have the second great commandment. You have to secure the second great commandment before you can arrive at the the great commandment. The second great commandment is, Thou shalt love thy neighbor just like you love yourself. So we have three directions of love occurring here. One, loving God. Two, loving your neighbor. And three, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. These are three directions of love that exist within the life of the child of God. Now when I talk about self-love, I'm not talking about selfishness. I'm not talking about putting yourself first. I'm talking about understanding that you have value. Understanding that, as the song said, you're worth dying for. He thought you were worth saving. He thinks you're worth loving. He thinks you're worth creating. He thinks you're worth dying for. So there's this love for God. We all want to love God. How many love God? Amen. We all love God. Here's the problem with that. If we don't love our neighbor, we don't love God. You can't say, oh, I love God. It's Bob I got a problem with. You can't say, oh, I love God. It's that that lady down there that makes me so mad. I I could just, you know, spit, strangle, whatever. You don't love God if you don't love them. You've got to love your neighbor in order to love God. And you can't love God till you love your neighbor. And you can't love your neighbor properly unless you love yourself. Because the way that you love your neighbor is that you love them like you love yourself. So here is the problem. We can't love God because we don't love our neighbor. And we can't love our neighbor because we don't love ourselves. So how do I get to a place where I actually love myself? And therein lies the problem. We don't truly have a view of ourselves the way God sees us. See, we can't hide from ourselves. We might fool everybody, but we don't fool ourselves. When we look in the mirror, we know exactly who we're looking at. And there's, there's, there's self-hatred that exists because of our inconsistency. Because of our weakness, because of our character flaws, because of our moral failings, because of the way that we have manipulated, the way we have cheated life, the way we have wronged others, and we know it, and we see it, and we hate it. And it causes us to look at others differently, and ultimately affects how we show love to God. So, so there, there is a way to correct this vicious cycle. It's found in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 gives us a term that we need to acquaint ourselves with. Verse 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. I know thy labor. I know thy patience. 
I know how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And I know how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake you have labored. And you have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. And here's why. Because you have left your first love. That is the problem with many people in the church who are struggling in their walk with God. They have left their first love. And because they've left their first love, it has affected the way they can properly appreciate themselves and the way they can properly appreciate their neighbors. And ultimately, it impacts the way they show their love to God. So... So the first love has nothing to do with love you give. The first love is love you receive. That's the first love. The first love doesn't come from us. The first love comes from God. It is when we come to the life-changing, awe-inspiring, groundbreaking revelation that Jesus Loves me. That's the first love. It doesn't have anything to do with you loving somebody else. It doesn't even have to do with you loving you. It doesn't have to do with you loving God. It has to do with Him loving you. And if we ever depart from that knowledge, and I don't mean saying it with lip service, but I mean knowing it. Deep in our soul, He loves me. If we ever depart from that, it will affect every other aspect of our life. There is something about knowing that He loves me that changes everything else in my world. He loves me. I'm telling you, that matters more than anybody else loving me, anybody else loving you, knowing that He loves you. Oh, I know your mom loves you, and if you were blessed to have a loving mother, you should thank God for that. Those who did not have that, it's such a challenging thing for them to understand. I had a loving mother, and I had a loving father. And folks, my mother and my father... They'll love me through anything. They'll love me regardless of anything. I understand that about my mother and my father. But here's the thing about God. God knows every single thing about me. And he still loves me. Folks, that blows my mind. This God who is holy, this God who is pure, this God who gives commandments, this God who expects of us to live up to how he created us, this God who is above all, this God who is high and lofty, the most high, knows all there is to know about me. He knows stuff about me I don't know about myself. He doesn't just know the thoughts of my heart. He knows the intent of my heart. He knows why I thought what I thought. And he still loves me. You know what? You do what you want to do. But I'm going to praise him all the days of my life. I'm going to serve him. You do what you want to do.
what you want to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You can take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Anybody that's going to love me like that. Anybody that's going to love me like that. And, and, and let me tell you, let me tell you who, who, who recorded these words of Jesus. We call him the disciple whom Jesus loved. The, the, John the Beloved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now there's a reason why we call him the disciple whom Jesus loved. We call him the disciple whom Jesus loved because the Bible calls him the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the Bible calls John the disciple whom Jesus loved because John wrote the books that say he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's just very clear about it. I'm the one he loved. They're all good. They all had good qualities, but I'm the one he loved. And you can think he's being audacious. You can think he's kind of stepping out of bounds. You say what you want to say. He doesn't care. He loves me. He loves me. I know that he loves me. How do you know that he loves me? Because I went to the foot of the cross with him and I saw him sweat and I saw him bleed and I saw him weep and I saw him mercilessly wounded. I saw him relentlessly ridiculed and persecuted and he could have come off that cross but he did not come off that cross and there's only one explanation for all of it. He loves me. And I'm going to tell you the reason that you're struggling the way you're struggling is because somewhere along the line, you have left that first love. You've departed from the faith that he loves you. You somewhere, you somewhere, maybe, I don't know where it was. Maybe, maybe it was a spiritual leader who gave you the impression that you had to earn the love of God. Maybe it was somebody in a trusted relationship position who, who, who gave you a false because they were a fallen person and they didn't know how to set a good example and they gave you kind of a, a messed up interpretation of what love is. I don't know. I don't know why we do the things we do, but, but I do know that all of our problems stem from departing from this first love. He loves Oh, hallelujah. See, John went to the foot of the cross. Peter did not. Peter denied him. They were at two ends of the spectrum. The Bible makes clear that the difference in the way John embraced the crucifixion of Christ and the way Peter embraced the crucifixion of Christ. John embraced the crucifixion of Christ like this. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay till you give up the ghost. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay because, because I, I, I'm with you until the end. I'm with you. And, and he, he left with a revelation. And this was his revelation. He loves me. Peter denied him. He denied being his disciple. He denied being in his group. And, and Peter walked away from the crucifixion. When the going got tough, Peter got going. And there's a reason why when Jesus rose from the dead and Peter and John took off running to the tomb, there's a reason why John won that race. And I think it's hilarious that the reason we know the outcome of that race was because John wanted it forever settled in heaven that I outran Peter to the tomb. Peter might have been a great preacher of Pentecost, but when it came to running, 
I had, had an old edge on Peter. And so, so John said, we, we both went running to the tomb. And, and I got there first. There's a reason why John got there first. I'll tell you why. There was no hesitation in his step. See, Peter was like the little girl with the, with the roses, pulling the rose petals off. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He didn't spend time at the foot of the cross, so he didn't know whether Jesus loved him or not. He didn't know what he would find when he got to the tomb, whether he would find a belligerent Messiah resurrected from the dead who said, who do you think you are? You left me when, when I needed you the most. Get out of my sight. You sickened me. And, and he was afraid. He loves me. He loves me not. It caused a pause in his step, but not John. John had no pause in his step. There was no hesitation. There was no trepidation. There was no reluctance I was there I was at the foot of the cross on that hill far away stood the old rugged cross it was the emblem of suffering and shame and I'll cherish the old rugged cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain and I, I was there I saw it happen and I know for a fact you don't have to you don't have to tell me twice he loves me and that's all he could talk about for the rest of his life that's all I can talk about. His books are filled with it. He, he recorded every time Jesus talked about the love. It was John who recorded. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was John who recorded greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. In his epistle, John said, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. It was in his epistle that he said, ladies and gentlemen, we love him because he first loved us. Us. It was in his epistle he talked over and over about the love of God until finally he said, you know what, I'll just sum it up like this. God is love. Amen. Hallelujah. And I, when you get that revelation, he loves me. He loves me. He who knows all about me loves me. He who knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb loves me. He who saw me at my lowest loves me. He who saw me at my most treacherous loves me. He who saw me at my most low down, defiled, loves me. It changes your perspective of yourself. You begin to understand, if he loves me, I must be worth loving. All of a sudden, it, 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 it prevents you from holding grudges against your neighbor. Because now you look over at your neighbor and, and you're not holding them to the standard you hold yourself to any longer. You're looking at them through the eyes of God's love. And you love your neighbor like you love yourself. And when you love your neighbor like you love yourself, God says, okay, now. Now you can step into the greatest of all commandments. You can love me. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Hallelujah. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This is a fruit of the Spirit, and it grows. It grows. Don't get discouraged if you struggle with letting the love of God flourish in your life. It's fruit. It's growing. Let it grow. You know, some... 
Some years the fruit yields greater increase than other years. Some days you have better days than others. Some days you are a Christian. You are a salt of the earth. You are you're the light of the world. And other days you're a twinkle light. Other days you're more of a, you know, you, you, you're more assault, not salt, but assault of the earth. And, and you could get frustrated with that or you could go back to the foot of the cross again. And say, remind me all over again, Lord, of what it means to love somebody. Show me again how much you love me, kid. Show it to me again. Let me see the blood again. Let me see the blood again. Let me see the blood again. I, I was, I, I, I think I shared this, maybe it was last week I shared it. I, I, I share it a lot, but somebody asked me about Bishop G.T. Haywood, him writing the song, I see a crimson stream of blood, beautiful anthem of the church, and it flows from Calvary. Its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. And they said, how did Bishop Haywood write such a beautiful song? Like, I see a crimson stream of blood. And I said, well, it's rather quite simple. He, uh, he saw a crimson stream of blood. How did he see a crimson stream of blood? Because he was at the foot of the cross in prayer. And God allowed him to see what happens in the love of God. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus came into this world as the seed that is planted in our hearts. And when that seed is planted in our hearts, what bursts forth from that seed is the love of God. If you think feeling forgiven or being forgiven, how many have ever been forgiven by God? I know I'm asking you to show your hands a lot tonight. How many just, just I've been forgiven. You ought to say it loud, I've been forgiven. If you think that, does that feel good to be able to say I've been forgiven? All the sin stains washed away, all of the, all of the stuff you did. Somebody just told me the other day, they said they, had a, they were in prayer and they were talking to God. And, and all of a sudden they felt the Lord speak to them and he said, I have favored you. I have favored you. And they responded and said, but Lord, I've made so many mistakes. And he said, I don't remember them. That's what the Bible said. He said, I'll remember them no more. I'll, I'll cast them as far as the east is from the west. And remember your transgressions no more. That's being forgiven. That feels wonderful. If you think being forgiven feels wonderful, you ought to try being forgiving. It feels even better. It feels even better. When you forgive somebody the way God forgave you, there's such a joy in that, and you will never experience the love of God to the degree you could if you don't forgive. Being forgiven is a certain, that's the first love. But when you start forgiving others, folks, that's a level of love that, that, that is so enriching and so full of joy. Oh, hallelujah. And it's the greatest love that you can demonstrate to a person. Now, I want you to hear me, and I'm closing. When you forgive somebody, you show them the grace of God at Calvary. When they wound you, when they backbite you, somebody said 
A backbiter is a backstabber who forgot their knife. When they backbite you, when they backstab you, when they seek to do you harm, but you show love and forgiveness instead of revenge and retribution, you show them the Christ of Calvary. And you let the light of God's glorious gospel shine. Let the fruit of the Spirit blossom in your life. Hallelujah. Let the sweet love of God baptize you all over again. I wonder if we could reach out to him and just say, Lord, I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for your love for me. You know, a lot of times we say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I wonder if we could just say this, Lord, you love me. Lord, you love me, and I thank you for loving me. When was the last time you just praised him for simply loving you when you know that you were unlovable, but he chose to love you anyway? Let it change you. Hallelujah. Let it rearrange your life. Let it redirect the way you treat those in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I need somebody with the revelation of the love of God to begin to praise his name for his great love wherewith he hath loved us. For his great love wherewith he hath loved us. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Hallelujah. I need the forgiven ones to give him praise right now. Go ahead. Stand to your feet with me. If you've been forgiven, I want you to praise him right now. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Come on. Don't forget the pit from whence you were dug. Don't forget where he brought you from. Don't forget how he brought you out. Glory to God. Don't forget how he brought you out. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, church. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we just stand at the foot of the cross for a moment before we leave tonight? Can we just come back to the foot of the cross for a moment before we leave? Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Come on, that's it. That's it. That's it. Praise His name. 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 Come on, I want you to, I want to invite you to the foot of the cross again. I want to invite you to the foot of the cross again as we praise Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed. 
Adonai.